0: Principal Matters Podcast, episode 160. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast. Where each week, we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. You can check out all my resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. Today, we're going to be answering questions from principals with my guest and co-host Jen Schwanke, who is also the author of You're the Principal, Now What? Strategies and Solutions that Work for School Leaders and the Principal of Indian Run Elementary School in Dublin, Ohio. Jen, welcome back to Principal Matters. I hope that you've been having a great summer and thanks for hosting this episode with me.
1: I'm so excited to be back, Will. This is an episode that I've really looked forward to and I know you have as well. We want to get down into the trenches with some real life questions.
0: Well, before we jump in, I just want to first of all say an enormous thank you to the contributions, Jen, that you have made to Principal Matters, listeners, for the past several months. We this will be the fifteenth episode that you and I have done together. And those of you that may be listening for the first time, I just want to encourage you to go back and listen to the episodes that Jen and I have done together, because for a series of episodes we talked specifically about strategies for new principals. Everything from hiring to professional development to culture, the list goes on and on. But Jen, thank you so much for the work that you've done and I just want to go ahead and and let people know on the front end that you're stepping into some work not only as a principal but also teaching some classes this year at your local university and so congratulations on your new work. So Jen will be checking in with us periodically but not as consistently as she has been. So I am just thrilled that today we get the opportunity to respond to listener questions because there have been several that have come to us. And so, I'm just going to jump right in because I know that you and I both like to get to the meat of right. what our <laughs> listeners want to hear. So, here's first, the first question that we have and I'm just going to read it. Hello, I've just completed my master's program in administration for school and I was curious what advice you would give me on how to be noticed during the application process. I have applied to quite a few places and never heard back. So all in all, what would your advice be to a teacher leader seeking their first admin job? So let's jump in there, Jim. What kind of advice would we have to listeners who may be that person who's trying to get into school leadership but hasn't had the opportunity yet?
1: I hear this a lot from people wanting to break into administration. I think a lot of us go through our master's program and we get that certificate in our hand and then we feel like the the waters are going to part and everything's going to be a clear path going forward, but it's really not. I think it's important to remember the the math problem involved, and by that I mean, you know, every school has one or two or maybe three administrators, and you know, 30, 40, 50, 70, 100 teachers, and so the jobs are hard to come by, and often we look at administrators and think it was an easy path, and sometimes it is, but many times it it involves multiple, multiple applications, and countless interviews and countless updating of our resume and our uh, digital portfolio. So just to keep that in mind that the path is not an easy one. You know, I found, too, I, I tell people, you you would need to apply and just keep that networking going. You know, think of who you know and think of who would write an email on your behalf or might say your name out loud. And, well, I know you're a big believer in helping out colleagues and friends. You, that's kind of how you hang your hat. And I think that it's important for people to remember folks like you who are in their corner no matter what when, when networking.
0: Well, and Jen, I love that advice, especially when you do the math, because just because you are a qualified leader doesn't mean that that position that you're needing necessarily exists right now, exactly. but it may exist six months from now, or it may exist exactly. a year from now. And sometimes even if there's a specific opening, that doesn't mean it's the opening that best fits you because sometimes right. sometimes schools are looking for change agents change agents. Sometimes they're looking for people who can come in and be that brand new principal. Sometimes they're looking for older veteran experience principals. And so it really depends. And if you're joining a, joining a team of other administrators, that team may already have skill sets where they're looking for someone to fill the gap for a skill that they don't have. I'll give you an example. I just had a friend of mine who moved into an assistant principal role because they were looking for someone who could serve in the same functions of instruction and discipline, but they needed somebody who was really savvy with technology. And so they were looking for someone with those qualifications who also could lead when it came to technology implementation. And that was her, that was her skill. So that was her fit. So sometimes the opening may just depend on what someone's looking for in terms of that fit
1: absolutely sometimes we feel so disheartened when a position is filled by someone maybe that the committee already had their eye on or somebody who's paid their dues for 25 years you know as the as the baseball coach and the rti leader and the team leader and then they slip into that role and it can feel like we don't, you know, not everybody gets a fair shake, but you have to realize that what's happening behind the scenes is just as legitimate as, as people who are walking in and, and hoping for the fresh start. I always say, you know, you want to go where you're wanted. You don't want to go to a place where the decision was already made before you even applied or where you're not treated with respect and dignity. And if they're not calling you back, you don't want to work there. You know, you want to go where you're wanted. That's something really to, to believe in yourself about where you're going to land.
0: I love that. And let me say something else to teachers who are frustrated because they're looking for that next step. And I'm just going to say this because of someone who's hired administrators from the outside of my school and the inside of my school. I've I've had the privilege of being able to bring people on my team in both those contexts. So let me talk to those of you that are um, looking for that next position and maybe you're a teacher right now be the best, most incredible teacher that you can be right now and be a leader among the teachers right now. You don't need to wait for a title of school administrator to be a leader within your building. And I can tell you that when I've had openings for administrative spots within the buildings I've led and there's someone on my team who's already demonstrating leadership, they're already a cut above, they're already a great communicator among teachers, they're already... Innovative and coming up with ideas are already leading teams within the school. It doesn't—it's not rocket science to look around and recognize that person's already demonstrating the kind of leadership that I want would him—I would—that I would want on my team.
1: Have you ever inter- interviewed someone? to be a principal on your team or an administrator on your team and you get the sense that it's not necessarily they want to be a principal in your building, they just don't want to be a teacher anymore, you can tell that. You think, oh, this is just someone who wants out of the classroom. They don't care where they land. And that's a huge red flag to me because yeah. I want someone, who, like you said, be the most incredible educator you can be wherever you are at that moment. Yeah. And, because that is the best interviewing tactic you can have is be fabulous wherever you are at that moment.
0: Such great feedback. And if you are someone who's struggling with I no longer love the classroom, then you need to reevaluate why you want to move into the office. Because I'm going to tell you that 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 transition does not make things easier. And you and I both know that (laughs) Jen. So true. Yeah. It gets harder. And so that doesn't mean that you can't have the desire for something new. It can't mean that you're beginning to get a little bored in your work or that you need to feel the need to push beyond the walls that you're in. I mean, that's normal and that's actually healthy when you grow when you feel like you're outgrowing the place where you are as a teacher. But if your goal is to escape the classroom, then you're only going to be a disservice to the people you're leading. They need someone leading them who believes that the work that they're doing in their classrooms is the most important work that's going on in that school because all the research all the research indicates that the that the greatest opportunity for students to increase their learning is through the quality of teacher that they have in their classroom. And the second greatest factor that contributes to student learning in a school is their principal, but it starts with that quality teacher and who's supported by a quality principle.
1: I I've told the story several times, I think, of the moment I realized I really wanted to go into administration. I was teaching pronouns to my seventh graders for the five hundredth time. And I thought, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. But it wasn't a hate of teaching English. It was just I want to expand my skill set. I want to do something different. I didn't ever have resentment for the kids or the parents or the process. And I think what that reminds me of that I'd like to tell aspiring administrators is you, you can't let desperation lead you mm-hmm. because desperation will, will lead you to applying for jobs. You're you, that, that wouldn't be a good fit or it would, it will make you resent and hate the work you're doing. You want to be led by the passion and the energy that got you as an, into an educating, or excuse me, w- that got you into a classroom in the first mm-hmm. place. Let that energy lead you, not your desperation.
0: Well, and something else I think too that's important is you often will know the lay of the land. You might be looking at a position that's open that you already know there's probably some people that may be more qualified than you or maybe you've already heard the talk that they've decided who they want. Um, But sometimes stepping into interview positions that you know may not be yours still give you the opportunity to practice. And they give you the opportunity to demonstrate to that leadership team how good you could be. And so I have said in interviews before, where the person who the district has already identified is is on that list, but some of the other candidates that have said in that those interviews have been so impressive that the next time there's an opening, guess who they're calling? Exactly. Don't ever, don't ever give up an opportunity to interview if it's it's a way for you to grow because interviewing is a great way for you to grow and to create opportunities the next time there may be an opening.
1: And you know, superintendents and principals call each other. To your point, there's times where I know my, the superintendent that we have right now has answered a call of a neighboring district from a superintendent who said, do you have anybody? And he'll say, well, we didn't hire this one gal, but she was fantastic. Why don't you take a look at her? So Mm -hmm. interview anyway, absolutely.
0: Wow. All right, Jen. Any other, any other responses on that topic? Because we're going to move into some other uh, listener questions.
1: I do have one more. I think it's important to sit down with a piece of paper and maybe your loved one or your family and make a t-chart what you're willing to do and what you're not. And everybody's answers will be different. But, you know, think of your negotiables and your non-negotiables. And that might be moving you know, switching cities, towns, even states. If you're willing to make a switch among levels, if you were elementary, would you go middle or high and vice versa? What about a pay cut? What about a a title change? Those kind of things are just important. And, And for one person, a pay cut might be absolutely not an option. Another person might say, yeah, I'll make less money so that I can get my feet wet and maybe be higher on the pay scale in a few years. So just something to think about. Think about what you value and what's important to you at this stage in your life.
0: Yeah, that's so important. And patience is important, but understanding your life's context and who you are serving or who you live with or the ages of your children, all of those things are so important because I know some leaders who are more mobile. They can move from place to place, so they, they may be able to go a longer distance for an interview because they don't, have young, they don't have children in school yet, or maybe their kids are already grown and out of the house. And so all of those factors weigh into the opportunities that you may or may not have. But Be patient, be strong where you are, demonstrate leadership right where you're already serving. And then when you do have opportunities to interview, jump in there and show them how great you are because they will spread the word to others. All right. Listener question number two is about student discipline. So let's jump into this question, Jen. We're going to completely switch gears. And this reader sent in this question. I'm struggling to stay consistent in disciplining students, haven't we all? Largely because I know that they're acting out due to what's going on at home. And I find that my heart is going out to them and I want to show them more grace. It's draining to have to suspend the same child again when you know that there is no follow through at home. And at the same time, I cannot overlook the behaviors. I feel like teachers come to me regarding my frequent flyers, expecting me to be able to fix them. And I guess I'm starting, I guess I'm searching for my magic wand are, do you have any suggestions or words of advice? Does discipline from the assistant principal role ever get easier? Can you sense the the frustration in the in that question, Jen?
1: Oh, my heart goes out to this person. I I know exactly what he or she is feeling, and you know I don't think it gets easier. I really don't. I think if it does get easier it might be because you've numbed yourself or you've stopped caring so much and that's not necessarily a good thing i think discipline is so hard Mm -hmm. um when i was first an administrator that's what my principal handed over to me here have special ed and have discipline Mm -hmm. and i'll tell you what there's nothing better to make you learn about this job and to stay true to your empathetic side but also you know there's there's things that I do to follow my my um, true north so to say, so to speak with discipline. I just try to do the next right thing, and we 're dealing with human beings, and you know we never know what they 're going to do to get themselves sent to the office and get themselves in trouble, and we never know the state of the mind of the teacher that sent them. Um, we always feel so badly about what 's going on at home and the support they have and you know doing the next right thing is very complicated because it involves policy and and um, weighing all of the things going into your decision but mm-hmm. doing the next right what's the next right thing that that helps lead me.
0: I think you and I've talked about that before because I had a leader tell me once when you're not sure what to do, ask yourself well what would a strong leader do And that sounds so easy, but it's not and it But it's a great question to ask because sometimes when we're tempted to begin to compromise on consistency, we need to step back and ask what would a strong leader do? And when I ask myself what that strong leader would do, I have to remember that there's a tension that you have to embrace between consistency and compassion. And they go hand in hand because the way that you do student discipline school-wide, is not any different than the way you do strong discipline in a classroom. And so think about your greatest teachers, your magic teachers, those great classrooms where classroom management is strong, where students are both paying attention, they understand the processes and the procedures and the rules, but they're also being able to be creative and innovative and have fun. And that teacher is both entertaining, but also incredibly informative. And there's two things happening at the same time at every one of those magic, quote unquote, magic classrooms. Strong process, which leads to the freedom to be creative. And so, when we're doing school-wide discipline, it's not any different. Those policies, those procedures, those expectations, those rules, we implement consistently because then it creates structure. And within that structure, we have then therefore the freedom to exercise compassion and love and care and nurture for those kids, even when we're having to sometimes place them outside the classroom or sometimes bring in interventions. Now that doesn't mean in in this person's question that that suspension should not be reconsidered, but you also have to look at your district policy and your school policies and remain consistent. And if you're going to begin changing the responses that you have in discipline, then that needs to be something that's done school wide. Now, Jen you and I both also know that the longer you do student discipline, the more you begin to understand those small nuances, so even in enforcing yes. even in enforcing policy, you still can find very creative yes. ways to be nuanced in that in order to exercise compassion. Why don't you speak to that for a minute? I think
1: policy is is very clear, <laughs> as clear as you want it to be. Yes, you're right. There's times that you can flex and be creative with how you respond to a situation and bring in other stakeholders, get the input from other people who can um, provide for example, an alternative suspension. Let's just take that one. Um, You know, kicking a kid out of school repeatedly doesn't do anybody any good, and we all know that. Um, So can you make, for example, an an in-school suspension with monitoring from a substitute with um, teachers stopping in to help the student get through their day or whatever? Can you... um, use communication and the relationships that you have with teachers, with students, with parents to come up with alternate solutions that might still say follow district policy but provide some kind of alternate learning experience for the kids. I think it's it's um, a complicated issue, it's disheartening, it's heartbreaking, it's It's really um, hard to keep coming back day after day after day and have the same student sent to the office, to have the same teacher mad every single day. Um, I think one of the things that I really have found success with is working with teachers about the messaging that they are throwing into the universe by sending students to the office. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say whenever you tell a student, go to the office, you're telling the student, either I don't want you or I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And think about that from the lens of a student. If a teacher is saying, you're too much for me, I can't handle this, I'm angry, I'm upset, somebody else has to take you on. That's a, that's a whole Pandora's box there uh, That that's very hard to unravel. And so a lot of times teachers will think, wow. I don't know that I want to send that message. And that's not to say students don't do things that need them removed from school. Absolutely, that happens. It's just really wise to take a moment and think about what we're saying to the student or the situation when we remove ourselves from it.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's also important for school leaders to remember some some common feedback from teachers. We were just looking at some research recently in our state of why so many certified teachers are no longer in the profession. In Oklahoma, for instance, there's over 30,000 people that live in our state who carry current certifications but are not in a classroom. And our state department actually surveyed them and asked them, why, why are you not teaching? And, And one, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons that many of them said as teachers was because I did not feel supported by my principal. And so as principals, we need to remember that when we're dealing with a student and we're dealing with a teacher, They're the two most important people in that equation, not how we feel. And and how we feel is important, but it's not as important as that relationship between that teacher and that student. And so we're that arbitrary, that, that arbiter. We're that person in the middle who's trying to negotiate and sometimes very nuanced and complex relationships. So sometimes that kid may sit in the office for a little bit and take a break because you may know that teacher needs a break. Or right. maybe sometimes that student may need to be sitting down with that teacher and you and a parent and filling out a behavioral contract where you say, here are the expectations. Let's put it in writing and let's make sure we all agree because you know that student is smart enough and capable enough to fulfill that kind of agreement. And so, right. So over time, you learn how to understand your people, you learn how to understand those kids, to nuance those things, to try to get to the best place. But Jen, you and I both, I know you and I both have sat in offices before where our hearts are hurting. You know, I've sat with parents and cried with them. When we've had situations where their students are being removed or where they've made really bad decisions or where they're in the secondary level, there's criminal activity involved. And so you, you can't stop feeling. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have your heart involved in what you do because that's impossible. You're going to be a good leader if you care. But you still have to, at the end of the day, realize that your responsibility and your role dictate to you consistency with compassion.
1: Right. And there's an education piece with that too, with your relationship with the teacher, because sometimes teachers just want a kid kicked out. And, you know, that used to be the way it was. And, you know, 50 years ago, I think if a kid did a certain thing, he was kicked out. And sometimes teachers think that's what support means. The child's just gone for a few days. And I think we really need to reconsider our our meaning of support in that context, because sometimes I'll even ask a teacher, I understand you don't want this student in your class any longer, but since that's not an option, can you sit down with me and let's think this through? Because mm-hmm. I'm in an unwinnable situation, the parent's in an unwinnable situation, and really the person who holds the power here and is, is um, able to think of alternatives is you, the teacher. So that's important to get feedback. When you're feeling you're most frustrated, say, help me. Give me some ideas. I'm all ears.
0: And so I think the last thing that I would add to that reader or that listener's email is bring in others to this conversation. Don't feel like you have to be the only person trying to solve this problem. And you're right, Jen. So often in scenarios where you can tell that the teacher is the is the person in this equation that needs to be present, then I'm not going to make a decision. I'm going to call a meeting. I'm going to make sure that that parent and that student and that teacher are present because most of the time when you put them at a table together, then suddenly everything becomes clearer. All of those conversations, there's not mom's version of it. There's not my version of it. There's not the kids' or teacher's versions of it. The reality usually surfaces in that conversation. And then you can actually reach a solution that, can be supported by the teacher and the student because together you're making that decision so don't be afraid to bring others into those conversations and yes you're going to hit those inevitable times where there are irreconcilable differences you have to implement policy as consistently as you can but you have to be honest with people right and sometimes i've had to be honest with teachers after meetings too to tell them that they need to be more flexible right or that they need to be more compassionate or they may need to understand something going on with that kid home that maybe they don't know and they need to know it and so all of those. P- All of those are still factors in those tough conversations.
1: A little school hack I found is bring that guidance counselor in too. The guidance counselor tends to have excellent relationships with teachers. And so I will go to our guidance counselor and say, hey, I'm thinking about a day in out of school suspension. And he might say, oh no, let's let's think of alternatives. And then he is an excellent liaison to go to the teacher and say, you know, I kind of said, this is not a good solution. Here's what we're going to do. And sometimes the teacher is, is more able to hear it or uh, be flexible if you've got that guidance counselor voice in there.
0: Wow. All right. Are you ready for question number three? I'm ready. Let's go. Question number three from listeners. How do you handle the following scenario? You are asked to step into a parent-teacher conference that you did not plan or have any background information. You have both the parent and the teacher with you and even the involved student. The parent brings legitimate concerns to the table. The teacher might not be flat out wrong but could have handled the situation better. But the teacher is adamant that they're right and even has asked you to back them up. Here's here's the question. How do you handle this situation without the parent leaving mad or the teacher feeling unsupported?
1: Well, you know, I have a very complicated relationship with the word supported, don't you? Have (laughs) I talked about that before? Well, I think I have. Um, Again, a complicated word. It can mean a lot of things. I have had a teacher say before, uh, you didn't have my back. And I've had to explain, my job is not to have your back. Um, My job is to do right by the student. So I, I kind of thought about this question and I thought I would step into the meeting, but only to pause said meeting. There's time. It sounds like this is a scenario where emotions are high. The teacher is setting the principal up for some kind of impossible test where the only answer would be, I don't know what, kicking the parent out, I don't know what the teacher would want. But I would say, you know, it's perfectly fair to say, I don't, I don't think this is a good time to make decisions. Let's get some more information. I would like to get some perspective from everybody that's involved. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sometimes have to reassure the parent, you know, we're going to figure this out. Students going to have a great day today or tomorrow, or depending on when the meeting is. We'll get back together with a, at, a, at a different time.
0: Yeah, and without knowing all the details, it's really hard to respond to this question specifically, but I'll just give some generalities. One is I'm going to try to be a really good listener. I'm going to try to understand the situation that I've stepped into. I'm going to try to remember that honesty is important. So if Mm -hmm. I'm sensing that maybe this teacher is being unfair... Mm-hmm. Um, then I may need to say, hey, let's rethink the scenario for just a moment. Or if they're flat out violating school policy, then I'm just going to have to say that. Uh, let's visit our school policy for a second because actually it does give them the opportunity to make up their work in so many days or it does give them the opportunity to come in for after school help or or whatever that is. And so sometimes without knowing the specifics of this, it's hard to know. But also, Jen, and I'll just say this because it's, because it's real, as you build relationships with your teachers, over time you're going to begin to really get a sense of which ones you know are the more consistent ones and which ones are not. And so, sometimes when you step into a meeting and you've got a very strong, consistent teacher in front of you, you're going to defer to the fact that they get the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you've got a teacher in a meeting with you that may have a history of inconsistency or not following through or being active in some of the things that maybe this person's bringing up to complain about them and you've got to sometimes you've got to navigate those a little carefully because you need to be professional and supportive but you also need that parent to be able to voice what's true and sometimes that may come across as you're not supporting me because you didn't defend me in that minute and sometimes it may be because there's nothing you could defend
1: well exactly so I've been exactly in scenarios too I have too. And, and I have learned that it's best to be honest. I had a teacher once say to me, I hate it when you're so honest with me, but I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> but I, you know, I'll say, I, I can't support this, what's going on in the classroom. Um, I had a parent come to me a couple years ago with a troubling situation, you know, nothing that was negligent, but it was just not okay. And I told the parent, you know, I, I believe you're right and I'm going to take care of it. And I didn't say it in any way that anybody who's going to get in trouble, but I went to the teacher and I said, I had this great conversation with a parent and I have to admit, I I think his perspective is valid and I can't support your your approach, but what I can support is thinking of other ways to do it. And the teacher later said, I really appreciated your honesty. You didn't beat around the bush. You didn't um, play both sides. You didn't um, say one thing and mean another. Um, you know, again, relying on honesty with a whole bunch of compassion and empathy usually works in these situations.
0: Yeah. And people can see right through BS. And so oh, you, yes. <laughs> yeah, so you, you've got to be able to say things straight up like they are, but you also have to be professional. And so those right. are those are tough dynamics because some people times people want you to just be blunt and rude which right. is which you can't be because that's not your that's not your responsibility as a leader but then some people sometimes need you to be direct and so there's a difference between being direct and and being rude. Any other thoughts on that question?
1: No, I just think it's important to to for principals to know that when you're called into a situation where it feels unwinnable, it probably is. (laughs) And it's okay to push the pause button and to remember, you know, you didn't start this, you didn't um, cause it, you're not responsible for it. And so that kind of icky feeling like you can't make, you can't come out of this unscathed. It's legitimate, it's fair, but you really can come out of it unscathed and you can come out of it with everybody respecting you a little bit more if you handle it carefully and, and with compassion.
0: Wow. Well, we've covered a lot of ground with those three questions. And Jen, I'm going to wrap up today's conversation and set the stage for next week when we're talking because we're going to do a few more questions from listeners because I want to make sure that we get the most opportunity to hear your wisdom before we step away from this series that we've been doing together. And so, Principal Managed listeners, as you're looking at this coming year, maybe you're someone that's trying to get into school leadership or maybe someone, you're someone who's in it and there's difficult frustrations. Leadership isn't a step away from pressure. It's not a step away from hard work. It's not, a step o- it's not a step away from more difficult responsibilities. It's often embracing bigger ones. But then over time, and I think you can say this too, Jen, over time, you begin to find joy Even in those difficult moments, as you begin to learn those nuances, build those relationships, build a team, build a school community culture, then you begin to see those things um, after a while, not just being led by one person, but being led by everyone.
1: Exactly. And build confidence. That's another build we're going to add to that. You build
0: confidence in yourself and you feel really
1: good when you've handled a tricky situation beautifully.
0: Well, Jen Schwanke, thank you so much again for co-hosting this week's episode. And I'm looking forward to next week's conversation to Principal Matters listeners. Thank you for taking time to listen, to learn, and to grow. Until next time, thanks for doing what matters. Thanks, everyone.
1: We'll see you soon.